Psychedelic assisted therapy has re-emerged on the cutting edge of healing modalities these days. And if you haven't seen it yet, Netflix released the documentary called How to Change Your Mind. It's a four-part series by Michael Pollan, who authored a book on the same topic. And what they're finding is that the evidence-based therapeutic studies around uh, of psychedelics done in a controlled environment has really proven to be have groundbreaking benefits for people looking for relief from anxiety, depression, uh, OCD, ADHD, panic attacks, some of those things. And it, it's been really promising. So I embarked on my own personal journey this past weekend, and I'm excited to share my own experience here, all the details. So if you have friends or you yourself are on a spiritual journey or or on a journey of self-discovery, I would make sure that you text this episode out to them right now. It is going to really, really be a great conversation starter, but also something really thought-provoking as maybe an alternative or another avenue that could really, really make a difference for you. Now, if you'd like to hear all of these episodes ad-free, you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash culture changers. Big thank you to Juliana Rumbaugh, who has become a brand new member at the let's do this level. I'm so thankful for you. And for those of you who are already members, thank you. It means the world to me, your support. Here is the breakdown. All right, here is another personal one. And some of you may know that if you've been following my stories, that I decided to do a psychedelic enhanced sacred ceremony experience as part of my therapy. I've never done anything like this before. And just to give you an idea <laughs> of my normal propensity for stuff like this, I went to Woodstock 94. I had one beer the entire weekend. It was a tall Budweiser. Absolutely nothing else. I got drunk my first time when I turned 21 and I threw up on the bar in the car and at home. I've gone to Pink Floyd concerts, Grateful Dead concerts, Stone Cold Sober, and a zillion other concerts. And that's just the way that I am. I've always been I've been a control freak, you know, and every time I've drank, I have smoked weed, you know, but every time I do any of those things, I fall right asleep. There is, even at my engagement party, I drank uh, some wine. It was like a Pinot Grigio. I love Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio. And there's a picture of me passed out sleeping at my family party after having two glasses. It just, you know, I've never been the, the kind of person that, you know, just... Uh, would dance on tables and uh, or needed alcohol to kind of loosen up. I've always been kind of keyed up all the time and have always kind of lived a cleaner lifestyle. And even, you know, uh, I don't know. It, I think I did ecstasy once in college and I ended up 
falling asleep again at Webster Hall of all places, which is a giant nightclub in New York City that's known for its drugs and party atmosphere and music. And I've always been into kind of, I don't know, psychedelic music, just never partook in that. So to kind of come around and I'm in my 40s and decided to do mushrooms, magic mushrooms, but do it super intentionally was, you know, it's not a decision that kind of came lightly and something that was not even on my radar. And I have seen, you know, the rise in psychedelics and psychotropic kind of therapies that are going on. I've seen the series Nine Perfect Strangers with Nicole Kidman, uh, if you're familiar with that, which kind of had a story centered around psilocybin, which is, uh, you know, the technical term for magic mushrooms. And I would say that watching that as kind of bizarre as that series was, it started to help me understand the, the appeal of magic mushrooms and kind of opened the door for me. And I spoke with somebody who I trust very much, who is kind of a straight and narrow kind of gal. And she, you know, I was kind of talking about this journey that if you've been following me, I left my corporate job in April uh, of this year. And I don't really have a plan. I think my hope is to really kind of pursue this podcast hardcore and to have the podcast take off in a way where it can support me um, and support my family. And that would be my hope. So I do want to make it better. And you listening to this, especially if it's on Patreon, is really helping me do that. And so it leaving my job in April was totally a leap of faith and has really put me in a very... Um, a very big discovery mode. And so I've gone and kind of documented and and done this publicly too through the podcast and having this platform of not only on the microphone, but also through my blog, which you can go to allisonhair.com forward slash blog and subscribe to that as well, where I get even more personal. I have a weekly blog that I uh, send out uh, to my email list. And so this has kind of been a journey where I have walked, I guess in faith, it is a leap of faith, and really tried to take a hard look at what am I going to do? How do I redefine myself? I've had 20, almost 25 years in corporate sales and kind of living a traditional path when my whole world was telling me, this isn't it. You will never find fulfillment here. What else is there? And so on the side, I'd been building these kind of skills and talents or, or I don't know if building, just, you know, I've always known that, that my voice has something, has something that I can do with my voice. My question has always been, how do I use it as a force for good? What does that look like? And it's been many, many decades of, asking that question of where is my purpose? What do I do? And so I have, have you know, essentially this limited time that my husband and I decided on to figure out what's next. And what's next, meaning 
How am I going to earn an income? And what is that income going to look like? And how can I do it? How can I earn an income that is substantial, that is in full alignment with who I am? And so I feel like I have this window of time where I can unpack that question and do it. And of course, it's not happening nearly as fast as I would like. And when this trusted source told me about psilocybin and this place in Atlanta that offers these ceremonies, these sacred ceremonies that are led by a shaman and medicine woman. And what could that look like for me? And so as it was explained to me, it was almost like accelerating 10 years of therapy in one session. And you're safe. You're in a controlled environment. The doses are very meticulously put together. You, uh, you have a prep and uh, an integration period. So a before preparation, then the ceremony itself, and then an integration period that is going to help you kind of decipher what you experience through the psilocybin experience and the ceremony and how to integrate it into your life. And so all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, yeah, I totally want to do that. I'm in this period where I don't really have a beginning or an end. I don't necessarily have to be at an office. I mean, obviously I, uh, I work for you right now, you know, like <laughs> I'm putting out these podcasts, I'm putting out these blog posts. Uh, and it's kind of like those memes that say no one. And then uh, me saying, hey, I know you need this podcast. <laughs> And just putting it out and hoping people can find benefit in it. And so I wanted to kind of give that background on why, why I did it, why, um, you know, I don't really love to be out of control, but I went in with a completely open heart. And really they say that psilocybin or these magic mushrooms, they're known as the ego killer. It almost is designed to kind of take you out of yourself so you can see yourself. It's almost like you separate the ego part, the ego that's saying now, 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 that masculine energy of just do it, do it, do it. But you can actually rise above it and see it from a different perspective. So it's like that, that phrase that you can't see the label when you're inside the jar. And this gives you the option to see the jar and see yourself in it, and have a different perspective. And I thought, how exciting was that? How exciting could that be? What is possible if I did it? So I decided to invest in this journey. And, you know, it, it happened last Saturday by the time that I'm recording this. And so it is uh, a Saturday program, and then the Sunday is the integration where you kind of unpack what you experience. And in this case, it was in a group ceremony. So there were, I didn't know any person there, um, which was absolutely fine with me. <laughs> it was actually better that way. I didn't want to necessarily do this with anybody. I wanted to be completely independent. And so, you know, like I went into this place and had my energy cleared and you could feel immediately it was a beautiful, beautiful place where, I mean, you could, you could smell the incense, you clear the energy. There's a lot of indigenous 
uh, decor, I don't know if that's the right word, but tools and resources that are there. And you can tell immediately that there's a warm, welcoming presence there. And it just felt, it just felt safe. Um, and I knew, you know, I knew that I was just gonna, I was just along for the ride. I wasn't fighting. I wasn't resisting. I was just going to be there. I was just going to be open. And, uh, the, the co-founders of this were a shaman and a medicine woman. And I'm not sure if that are, those are the right terms, but both of them have, you know, multiple, multiple degrees and masters and are highly, highly decorated in, you know, academia and have kind of gone down the spiritual path. And, you know, like she's in robes and he is in all this jewelry and medallions around his neck, you know, and all of this stuff. And it was, um, it was just cool, but I was surrendering to be fully open and hopeful to the entire experience. And so part of the preparation on this, and what I loved about this is that when people think about doing mushrooms or doing psychedelics, what is that line like tune in, drop out, whatever it is, that, that kind of thing from the 60s. You think about lava lamps, you think about taking too much and maybe horses are galloping across this, the ceiling with colors everywhere. I knew this was going to be a different experience, uncontrolled. It's really hard to have an experience that uh, you can predict, right? Or that you, you know you're going to be safe if things don't go well. So I was told that these are not always uncomfortable and none of them, no two experiences are like, there's, there's no telling of if it's going to be pleasant or not pleasant or what. And so we did a series of exercise around core fears and core beliefs and your wants, needs, and desires. And the goal was to kind of boil down our most resonating focus on our intention. So it was basically and ask for the plant medicine. So I came away, so I've got a lot of things going on. I I had four of them that I really wanted to address. And they're like, you know, you really should just boil it down to one. And I'm like, all four are pressing. And they're like, all right, maybe two. And so the two that I had had kind of settled on were like, how do I see my thoughts on self-judgment? I'm intensely critical of myself. How do I see it differently? And to help me release it or seeing my self-worth in a way that helps helps me feel more whole. Uh, I think I've, I've questioned, especially leaving the workforce, leaving the traditional ways that we are rewarded. We're rewarded with money, with productivity, with pats on the backs, like, wow, you're a superwoman. Superwoman to me used to be like, hell yeah. Now it's like, hell no. It's almost like redefining that the more I push, the more I produce, the less peace I have. And so I'm trying to slow down enough when I'm so type A and so productivity driven, I'm reprogramming all of it. So it is that, what do they call it? The neuro pathways, neuro, I guess, I don't know, uh, where you're trying to kind of adapt some new neuro pathway things that are going to be more helpful to me. So all of this feels brand new. All of this feels brand new. And so everything that was done here was done very ceremoniously, um, very intentional. 
they uh, they were super serious about the experience that you're having and doing it as indigenously as you possibly could or as as you know kind of adhering to the way that it should be done. So there was no carelessness. Everything was carefully thought out um, and carefully parsed out. The, you know, the little mushrooms, when they would pass out these little ceremonious wooden bowls that had the mushrooms in them. And I never knew, like, I am not a great, like, I'm really picky eater. I, I have, like, typically can get kind of sick um, if I eat something weird. And so I wasn't sure if I'd be able to eat the mushrooms or if I would barf them up. And, you know, I really had a lot of nerves around it not working or me not doing it right, you know? And so the mushrooms were pretty. They were white with little tinges of purple. They were small. And I was nervous about it. And I chewed them and they didn't have much flavor, thank God, except for a tinge of mushroom, which I like. And they were chewy, but with a little crunch, almost like they were kind of tasty and could use a sprinkle of ranch seasoning. And so I got those down. I was getting so nervous. And this is after all the intentions and all the prep work. And I was getting so nervous that I was afraid I would just throw up or just need to go to the bathroom or something. And the nerves felt like if you've ever gone to, to have a surgery and that nervousness that you feel before the anesthesia kicks in, the fear that it might not work. And, and that's kind of how I felt. And so I felt a little sick to my stomach. I felt a little nauseous. I had a headache most of the day. And so I was just trying to kind of work through my nerves. So I kept trying to preemptively pee often <laughs> before the mushrooms kicked in because I was afraid I had to get up and I always have to pee. So uh, I, I, this is probably way TMI, but it takes about 20 minutes to kick in. So I laid back on this yoga mat. It had pillows and a blanket and I put my eye mask on and the music, oh, the music just surrounded my whole being. You could actually feel it on a cellular level and I could see the colors of the music. And I could see these reds and pinks and oranges and yellows. It was so intense and it felt like I was traveling through time and space. And the music, again, I have always felt music on a, a deeper level. Like if I'm sitting and talking to you across from me, I can hear faint music in the background louder than I can hear you. And so having it kind of envelop my body was really cool. It was really cool to feel it. And it was like this tribal kind of meditative music. Um, maybe it was shamanic music. I'm not entirely sure, but it was, it was calming. It was, uh, there were beats with it. It was very cool. And so what was interesting, so I was trying to, I wasn't sure if I was in or out. It did feel like a dream state, but I think I was awake. I don't think I was asleep. And the words kept coming up over and over and over again. Of course, of course. So remember, I, I had the ask about self-worth and self-value. And really, one of the things, what I thought was interesting is there is this core fear that I have. I'm a little embarrassed to say it out loud, but I'm going to because I just, I don't know. I think when we say those things out loud, you might hear it and think, oh, I 
feel that too, but may not have acknowledged it. So that that's the intention. It's probably a little too much to share, but I, I guess as I'm in the spot where I'm not earning an income now, I think I have a core fear that I am not worthy of abundance, that I can only have enough, but not all of it. And that, I think, is my core fear. And that was not actually my intention. You actually ask the medicine. You ask the plant medicine to kind of answer your question, your intention, and you have one. And that was not the one that I chose, but that's the one that kept getting answered. And again, those words, of course, kept coming up over and over. And this was so cool. It felt like I was in the game Candyland. So it was like these pinks and candy canes, and uh, it just it started moving too. And I was there with my daughter Juliana. My daughter Juliana is seven, and I just felt this this connection with her. And I would see these bright colors and happy abundance, and it would even be Candyland and also Alice in Wonderland. So also that distorted kind of bigness, you know, and those colors and those vivid uh, distortions were coming up, but it felt good. Like I started, I could feel myself. I would see these bright colors and it was almost like Alice in Wonderland and Candyland. And I kept asking, I kept asking, I was trying like in the moment to, to kind of decipher what I was seeing in the moment, which I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but that was what I was doing. I was like, I want to get the most of this, you know? And so I was kind of asking, does this mean, does this Candyland mean that everything good is available to me? It's sweet. It's abundant. There's a lot there. Does this mean I am worthy of abundance? And I could feel my lips turning up almost in a smirk, like a Cheshire cat. I could feel myself smiling a lot. And I wondered if anybody saw me. So in the ceremony, there are, you know, the founders that are kind of leading this whole thing. But there are also like trained facilitators that were watching and were there supporting me um, and all of us. And there were even observers that I guess were going to become facilitators. So there were plenty of people there that were essentially there to make sure they they were well trained to make sure that no matter what, you're covered, you're safe. And so I wondered, you know, I I could feel self-conscious, like, is anybody watching me smile? Do they know? And then the music swelled, and I kept smiling so big. It was so beautiful, it was colorful. And again, the words, of course, of course. And it's always been there. It's always been there, kept coming up again and again. And I could feel these patterns starting to repeat. And what I thought was interesting is that this whole scene, this whole sequence that's going on in my mind, I have seen it before. I've had dreams that look just like this. So it felt like these repeating patterns. And I don't normally write down my dreams and typically I forget them right away. And so when I had this experience, I woke up the next day and wanted to write down everything I could so I wouldn't forget a detail and I could remember it. And I'm hoping that it kind of stays. And so 
what I thought was interesting, so again, the words, of course, of course, it's always been there coming up again and again. And I could see the women in our lineage, like lionesses. Isn't that cool? Like big cat energy. Strong, could handle anything. Powerful, bright, colorful. So I could feel my mother. I could feel my sisters. I could feel my grandmother. I could feel all these women, these strong, powerful women, knowing that I got this. I can handle anything, this power and this strength. And that was such a cool feeling. And my daughter, oh, my daughter was just sparkling. And I would try and open my eyes and see where I was or if I was still there. And I could see figures moving about. I could see maybe some of the facilitators, I'm guessing, because I didn't know if I was in or out or seeing what, what is reality. And I could see these flowy robes or people that appeared to be dancing. And it, it almost saw, like felt like I could see seven or eight of them. You know what I mean? Like they were just kind of squiggly, these beautiful robes and things. And I could see and feel so much movement and beauty in the bodies. And I was trying to tune into my own body and scan if anything hurt or if I could get answers or guidance. And the way they'd explained it, like the ego part, is that the ego a lot of times are kind of on the ropes with you, like fighting, you know, like the medicine, the plants, the mushrooms, they always win, but you can fight back on it. And so I wonder if that was my experience trying to force myself to figure it out in the moment to understand to have the best possible experience and kind of decipher it or just let it happen as I was trying to scan my own body I definitely felt a little bit uncomfortable I still kind of felt nauseous I was really hungry excuse me <laughs> I was really hungry and I need I felt like I needed to release something like go pee or puke or something but I did not dare to get up. I was still too scared. Even though what I learned later is that you should get up. The more you release, the better experience you have. You shouldn't hold it all in. The more you hold in, the less you experience. So, but at that time, you know, like being my first time, I just, I was too scared to get up. I was afraid that I would fall down or something or just wasn't ready. And so the music, so I had this beautiful experience and uh, the music started to change and it started to sound more ominous. And I could feel the discomfort and remembered rolling onto my side. Because, you know, I was kind of laying on my back with this eye mask and I could feel like I could, I, sometimes I would touch my eyes and I would see they were wet. So I assumed maybe I was crying. I don't know. I don't remember crying. And I, I would, I had the eye mask, but I don't know where it went. Like, I don't know if I pulled it off or not. And I would, sometimes I would like sniff to see if I was there. I don't know. Or just kind of, or I would, I would make a sound like, hmm, I, I was kind of releasing, I guess. And when the music changed and, and started to sound more ominous and I could feel this discomfort, I remember one of the facilitators saying, if it felt too intense, put your hand out, like I was on a yoga mat, uh, put your hand out onto the concrete floor and the cold feeling of the floor would help ground me back to the earth. And I found myself doing that and that felt really good. It actually did help ground me. 
and I was hungry, I was nauseous, I probably had to pee, but was trying to hold on for as long as I can. So I don't know if you have felt that way, you know, when you're dreaming and you have to pee and you kind of feel that. So I was like, I could feel the discomfort and wondering, where are we in this? You know, is that, am I going to come out? Am I going to pee myself? I don't know. And at that point, I could actually feel my daughter, Juliana, with me. And I felt her so strong and powerfully. I could feel my mother so strongly. My mother passed away uh, a little over a year ago. And I have always felt that she has never left. She feels stronger now and, and feels like a source of strength to me. And I could feel her so strongly. I could even feel my grandmother and the generations of strong women building strength in me. And Juliana, my daughter, was just a force. She sparkled and shone so bright and is so strong. And at that point, I could feel myself crying and crying and crying, just witnessing her power and her glowing and her strength and her sparkle and knowing we were so connected. It was such a beautiful experience to see her in that way. And it was like, it was like this black background with these neon pinks and reds and oranges and just kind of surrounding my daughter and me. It was so beautiful. And I kept repeating the same patterns over and over again. Again, it felt like a dream that I've already had. And I felt really young. So it was weird because I felt like my age and then I felt young. Like even what I would look at had dew on it, like morning dew, like fresh morning dew, like a child with beginner's eyes, but already having, having the wisdom and strength that I needed. And for some reason, I kept going back to the third grade. I don't know why. I don't know if something happened in the third grade that I'm not remembering or, or just that age of innocence that I was tapping into. So it was kind of this cool duality of feeling both in a beginner's mindset, but also possessing wisdom and strength and power and the power being sourced from my family, from the women, especially in my family. And that was such a cool experience that I would think about my son and my husband and the support and the love that they gave me. But this experience was all me and my daughter. It was crazy how clear she was and I found myself trying to remember my intentions and hoping they would be answered I was forgetting what they were and I was almost trying to remember that the music felt tribal and it made me feel like a warrior like strong enough to make the world better and the music was so visceral you could feel it and beautiful and I remember the shaman saying before the ceremony to remember no matter what, it will pass. It will pass. It will pass. Good, bad, whatever. It will pass. And that they have everything we need to stay safe. So I kept remembering that when I was going through darker and scarier or more uncomfortable parts or didn't feel quite okay, quite okay and, and feeling queasy, you know? And at that point, I was hoping I would come back soon. And there were times when I'd feel a hand on my back or, you know, moving energy around my body and through. And I finally got up to go to the bathroom and someone helped 
walk me back to the bathroom and it was dark and this was so fun because I was like woo <laughs> it was so uh, funny because it was dark and they kept it dark they said you don't want to turn on the lights they put candles in the bathrooms because I think turning the lights on can be kind of jarring when you're in that state and I could see colors like shooting stars it felt like a nightclub but without all the music and pumping you know but all it, it felt like colors and shooting stars all around me and so it felt like such a relief to pee and when I got back I think I laid back down and continued this dream state and I do remember taking the kids once I laid back down to an area with amusements and there was like this neon ferris wheel with lots of colors and it was raining like crazy and it was actually raining and so in this facility there are sunroofs so you could hear the rain beating down on that and I think there might have even been rain in the music itself and so there was rain throughout maybe that was the raindrops or the morning dew or that freshness or cleaning kind of cleaning out something and I remember seeing my son and daughter on Ferris wheel just laughing and so youthful and innocent with lots of colors and the rain for real was in my visions as well and probably added to it and I think at that point I kept opening my eyes and trying to see am I back am I back and the lady to my right wasn't there and the man to my left seemed to have already gone too and I could see the medicine woman, the, the co-founder, right next to me. And she, was, she looked like a goddess. She had this beautiful white embroidered robe. And she looks like a goddess, beautiful. She just looked absolutely exquisite. And she had her arms out, almost as if she was holding space for me. And I saw her. And I just started crying. And I didn't know why. I just, it, I couldn't help it. And she kept saying, it's okay to release. And I just was crying and crying just uncontrollably. And I knew that was exactly, exactly what I needed to do. And the more you release, the more you release, right? Like all this stuff that you're holding, all the tension in your shoulders, in your body, in your chakras, in your heart, in your stomach, in your... Uh, you know, your tailbone and your whole body and your arms, all of that is releasing. And so that crying felt so cathartic to do it, even though I didn't know, I, I didn't even know that I was in it or out of it or coming out of it. I think I was coming out of it. And I was like, okay, this is really happening. And just let myself cry. And, and she was so gentle and said, it's okay to release. And then the shaman came over and said, I did beautifully, and the, I could see the facilitators greeting me with warm, knowing smiles, like, welcome back. And I looked up, and I saw some some of the ladies that were there eating soup at the table. It was like a vegetable soup, and and I, I, I sat down with them and not entirely sure if I was back or still in my dream state, and somebody fixed me a bowl of soup, and I ate some bites, and I really was hungry, but I was not in the mood for food. My tummy was in knots and I still wasn't sure what was happening. And, you know, the girls and I started talking and giggling and uh, I looked at my watch and it was after midnight and 
I told my friend Renee, who was waiting for me outside, uh, to meet me at like 11, 11.30. And I think we started a little bit later. And I think I came out later. Like every person is different. I think for me, it might have taken four hours where I think normally it probably takes a little less. So maybe three or four hours of, of being under the influence, I guess, is the best way to put it or, or kind of going through it where I think I might've taken longer. And so I was like, is this real? I'm looking at my watch. Is this poor girl waiting for me? I had to check and make sure I was really there. And that was the actual time. And I got my things and one of the facilitators walked me out to Renee's car. And I asked her, when, when will this nausea go away? She's like, "Mm, it takes a minute, maybe an hour. (laughs) And so I was like, okay. And so I, I got in the car with Renee and it's funny, she, she, uh, I, I was like, you know, we should probably take a video of this. And she amusingly took a video with my consent of me in that state. And I kept crying and giggling and trying to explain things. I was high as a kite. I still wasn't quite sure where I was. And Renee was so helpful and so loving and, and in the perfect, perfect, perfect person to take me home with the utmost respect and care Um, and I don't know that I'm going to publish that video. I probably won't, but, uh, it it was such an experience with it. And she dropped me off at home and I didn't turn on the lights. It was probably close to one in the morning and everything looked cool in my house anyway. Uh, you know, it was dark. I didn't turn on the lights and I tried to get a fruit by the foot in my mouth and I would cry. (laughs) I would just like walk around my kitchen crying and couldn't wait to hug Juliana, especially, and hug Danny and my husband, Chris. And both kids were fast asleep. They were drenched in sweat. I was smooching them and just hugging them. And I told Chris I was okay. And, uh, you know, when I, when I got in, he was asleep and slowly tried to take off my makeup and, and still wasn't all there. And I didn't really sleep very well. I woke up around five. I talked to Chris for a bit. I think he was tossing and turning a little bit too. And went back to sleep until eight. I felt a lot better. And uh, I, I went back for integration that day where we kind of decoded my experience. And it, it did feel like, wow, I did that. I did that. I did that. Of course. Of course. It was always there. It was always there. And so all of us kind of, went through and shared what we saw, what we experienced. And they said, you know, it's probably a good idea to wait four or five days because messages will come there. And when you talk about it too soon, sometimes people's influence or reaction can interrupt the process of healing that the medicine, the plant medicine keeps working for days and days and weeks and weeks and sometimes months after of this experience. And so I wanted to honor that. That's why I didn't, that's why I waited a few days to record this, to make sure that I had kind of a a real account um, and a true account where, where I could just kind of say it out loud. And so we went through the integration, we shared our experiences. And when it came to me, I wondered about that question of, was that question answered? of, am I worthy of abundance? And I think that was the exact question. 
And so the founders were like, yes, you are abundance. It's not, are you worthy of abundance? You embody it. Like we could feel it when you walk in anywhere. And I was like, wow, wow. It, w- it was like a perception shift. And there was a time during this dream where I did feel, they say this a lot. It wasn't as prominent. I think it was very specific to me and my daughter, but it was there that I did feel connected to the universe, connected to all beings, to all things, which was almost like the sourcing of the strength for each other. And that was a really cool feeling too. And so to kind of have that affirmed, and again, I I don't know that I have answers to what it all means. I have an idea. I think about it and I'm hopeful that to me, it felt like a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I was still a little tired and and kind of not all quite there the next day. I mean, it was there enough, but it, it definitely was still lingering dream state. And I remember feeling like, what would it be like? I can see why I... I don't want to say people would get addicted to it, but I could see the appeal of being in a dream state, in a safe place with people who are there to love you and people who are there to keep you safe and honor you and see you in your highest good. And I remember thinking, I don't want this to wear off. I just want to keep feeling a little loopy, you know? I want to feel... Like I'm still in that dream state. Like I can paint whatever I want and not kind of go back to the cruel, cruel world, <laughs> go back to reality. And, and I thought about this is truly why people start or end up joining cults because, and this is not a cult. This, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it, it felt like heaven on earth to be in a place where you're safe, where you're loved, where you're honored, where you are you feel like you're you're being celebrated in your highest good and anything and everything is possible to you without the self-judgment without critique of other people saying no you can't do that or your own mind saying those things and i think that possibility that magnitude of possibility of again of course of course it's always been there of course That's the message that came to me over and over and over again. And I didn't want to lose that. And if you think about so many cults start out with good intentions, I guess, where they want to live on a commune or in an ashram or something where the environment is set up to be loved, but it isn't always to be forever, right? Is it sustainable? So I'm not really going to go down the cult pathway. I'm just kind of making a correlation of just that beautiful dream state, it, it felt like heaven on earth and I didn't want to leave. I found myself lingering and wanting to be in that space and wanting to be with these people and wanting to have that experience again and learn more and ask questions, ask more questions of these are like deep excavations. So, you know, would I do it again? Yes, a hundred times, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's not the best idea. I don't know, but just, I had such a beautiful experience. I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, from a therapy perspective, I probably should have said this up front, 
is that they're finding that these psychedelics, these psilocybin, magic mushrooms, the, the, the psychedelic-assisted therapies are finding through data, through research, through experimentation done by universities, by reputable Harvard, universities all over, you're going to see it more and more where it is on the cutting edge of therapy that it's reducing depression, it's reducing anxiety. In many cases, not this is not guaranteed, but it is helping to reverse the effects of OCD or panic attacks, anxiety disorders, or even uh, immune disorders by releasing the ego, releasing the stress, releasing the grip that you have on controlling things in your world and just letting things happen and flow freely. And so with that, I'll probably wrap up. I love this experience and I'm grateful for it. I'm hopeful. And I will say for people that know me really well, know that there are some things that I've really, really struggled with. I'm not going to go into details here. Um, but in a certain environment, I felt some pretty crippling insecurities that I have not figured out how to overcome them. Even though cognitively I understand, I don't understand why it feels so bad. It shouldn't. And I went in that environment today and that insecurity, all of that weird judgment and kind of rumination, all gone. All gone. And I almost, you know, I felt really good about it and I, I wanted to test it. And so early, early results are kind of showing up. And so I feel a lot more, what's the word? How do I explain this? I feel a lot more possible. I feel a lot more possibilities. And it almost feels like things that I struggled with before. Again, those words, of course, of course, that some of those decisions have become a lot clearer since. And again, this is early. Maybe I'll do a follow-up. I don't know. But it, it feels like I have more flow and more peace. And again, I still am freaked out about a lot and have a lot on my mind always, but I'm hopeful and I'm grateful and I'm thankful for that experience and would totally recommend it. So with that, I'm gonna sign off. If you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you so very much. You are everything to me right now and I'm so grateful to serve you in a way where I can offer exclusive content and ad-free and better experience. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, I would love to invite you to join the community. It's for as little as a few dollars a month um, to support me as a creator, but also get access to a lot of goodies and content that could hopefully enrich your life and uh, and also bring great karma to you. But in the meantime, I'm signing off. I think I signed off like three times already. I just, I don't want to leave this conversation either. I will see you next time. And thanks again.